Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here, and as always, I'm thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. Over the past few weeks, before I get off the rails, let's start. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've been taking a look at the body of Christ, the church. Uh, specifically, we've been seeking to zoom in and take a look at the local church. We've looked at the membership of the local church. Uh, we've looked at you know the mission of the local church. We've looked even at church discipline for a couple of weeks and how that works out in the lives of the local church. And today, uh, we're going to take a look at the pastors of the local church, kind of lay down what does pastoral ministry look like in the local church, because the church was designed by God to function in specific ways for specific reasons. And the pastors of the church have the responsibility to steward the church towards those specific things in those specific ways for those specific reasons. Last week we talked for a minute about how the church is to be in kind of led in an organized and orderly way. Well, it is the pastors of the church that do that. And so today, I want to kind of zoom in on what the Scripture reveals to us about the role of pastors in leading the local church. Why does the church have pastors? What is it that pastors do? Where do you find pastors of local churches? And just a few of those things that I want to be specific about from Scripture. Now, I know that many of you have opinions as to what you think pastors should be like, what pastors should do, and some of it's based on tradition, some of it's based on kind of the pastor that you knew growing up, some of it's just based on your opinion. Now, I do want to warn you that I'm probably, if it's not going to make you happy, if those opinions are not rooted in Scripture. Because we have the responsibility, and me as a pastor, I have the responsibility of defining the role and office that I inhabit by how God lays it out in the specific ways and the specific reasons that God designs pastoral ministry to work in Scripture. So regardless of what your opinions are, the question you need to ask yourself is, are my opinions rooted in the specifics that God has laid down for us in the Scriptures? Of course, all cards on the tables, want to be honest, I am a pastor. So you're going to be getting a very pastoral perspective on the pastoral office and how the pastor is to function inside of that office. But I've been uh, in pastoral ministry for quite literally my entire adult life. Uh, I've been serving in the local church my entire life. I don't remember a day in which I was not a part of the local church of Jesus Christ. And that's been a grace of God in my life. And I found out very young uh, that God had called me into pastoral ministry. And I immediately started getting equipped, started getting trained. And so I've been in pastoral ministry for a long time. And so in many ways, what I'm going to be giving you today is a vision for pastoral ministry for our lives, but also for the future of pastoral ministry, as my desire is to leave a legacy in which I've trained up pastors to take my place and beyond. And I want to go ahead and get into it. Number one this morning, understand that the church is led by pastors. Now that should be just known, but it isn't. Uh, I once worked at a church where the pastor, the senior pastor, actually had zero authority. Uh, come to find out the church was really run by one family who was like the sixth generation members of that family. And they would tell me all the time, my grandpappy's grandpappy built that first pew uh, that, that you know, I wanted to get rid of that pew. But, uh, but, but I couldn't because that family led the church. It wasn't a healthy church. 
because they weren't leading the church according to God's design. And God has called pastors into the role of leading the church. I want to start unpacking that in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The apostle Peter is writing to the dispersed church. And he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now understand that what Peter is doing here is he's casting a vision to the leaders of the local churches that had been dispersed outside of Jerusalem. They weren't having an easy time of it. They were suffering persecution. And Peter is writing in order to help them understand that God had raised them up to lead the people of God through these difficult circumstances. And the promise that you see from the get-go is that God has never left his church without leadership. Throughout the New Testament, the authors write to the elders of the church. That's how leadership in the church is often spoken of. But there are actually multiple terms that mean basically the same thing that are used throughout Scripture. In this passage, he uses the term for elder, but then he also talks about the term oversight. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, he uses the term overseer. Uh, elder is the term presbyteros. Overseer is the term episcopes. And so understanding that what they're doing is in the word elder, he's not talking about the specific age of the individual because 1 Timothy is actually written to a very young pastor. He's using it according to the context as basically the way you would describe a military rank. Elder simply means the position in the church that that person holds, and Timothy held that position that he was mature in the faith to lead the faith. The term overseer uh, has been translated as bishop. It's been translated as overseer. Um, we typically use the term pastor. In our culture, the way that those Greek words have kind of been put together has been used to describe the function of the office of shepherding the people of God, and the term pastor is often used. For that. So for our purposes, I'm going to be using the term pastor for most of the sermon today, understanding that the way that the New Testament kind of interchanges all of these terms, describing more the function rather than the title, is so that we will get a vision of what the office of pastor actually is. Therefore, the title isn't really what's really important. If you're married to the term elder, that's fine, but understand that in our culture, they might think you're Mormon. All right, so that's kind of kind of a, a, a weird distinction that we have to make in the New Testament church. And it's one of the reasons that I find the term pastor abundantly helpful because it does kind of show what do we see this role as inhabiting according to Scripture. And so the apostle speaks to the ministry as one who oversees the work of God as a shepherd under the authority of the chief shepherd. And so that's a vital element for you to understand of what pastors do. Pastors are not able to, and they're not allowed to lead the church however they see fit. The scripture is very clear. Notice that Peter says you have a chief shepherd. 
So the pastor is limited in his leadership as to the role by which Jesus has ordained it and how Jesus himself would lead the church. So I've seen some pastors come in front of their congregation. They say, I've received some new revelation from God. And so I'm going to lead the church in this new direct, excuse me, new direction. And we're going to do things a new way. Well, that's bad. And that's probably a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's not a true pastor because we are limited as to the vision and the direction that we can lead the church in by what God has revealed in scripture because the chief shepherd Jesus Christ has shown us the ultimate revelation through the cross and resurrection to give full authority to the Bible as being God's word. And our vision is limited to what the Bible says the church is supposed to be about. So me, as one of the pastors of Village Church, I don't have the freedom to lead this church in whatever direction that I might feel like today. I have to submit myself to the authority of Jesus Christ, just like every other disciple of Jesus Christ, to see through the scriptures how would Jesus lead his church. Pastors then oversee the overall discipleship of the church. A few weeks ago, we talked about the mission of the church, and I summarized the mission of the church as ultimately being that our one task is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the church is failing if we aren't making disciples. If discipleship is not our chief aim, then we're not living up to the biblical standard. In the same lens, the pastor of the local church then must understand that he is the overseer of the discipleship that takes place in the local church. In Acts 20, 28, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit, and here's the term, has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The gospel, then, is foundational to understanding what the church is and how to lead the church in the direction that God would have it. He goes specifically to Jesus shed his blood for the church. So that is what you look at as you are seeking to lead the church into a direction of discipleship. And so Acts 14, 23 then goes further. And the apostle Paul talks about how do you find those pastors? Well, pastors appoint pastors. It is a cyclical thing. Just like disciples make disciples, it is the responsibility of pastors to raise up and appoint more pastors. Acts 14, 23. And when they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, vital to note in this, when it says that they were seeking the Holy Spirit for this, in both John 14 and in John 16, Jesus was specific to say, that the Holy Spirit always leads in the direction of the gospel. He looked to his disciples and he said, it's good for you that I leave because when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and he will remind you of everything that I taught. And you see those limitations? We are not free to say that the Holy Spirit is leading us in a direction that Jesus himself has not shown us. We must look to the scriptures because the Holy Spirit is always going to lead us in that direction. And the, he's provided leadership then for those specific purposes. Therefore, anyone that would lead away from what Jesus has revealed through scripture cannot be trusted and should never lead the church. So how do you raise up good pastors? Number two, 
God calls pastors through the process of equipping. God calls pastors through a process of equipping. Now, uh, in modern history of the church, we've had a weird relationship with what it means to be called to be a pastor of a local church. Uh, people have created all types of almost mythical sounding stories where supernatural events happened. Uh, I remember when I was in Bible college, one guy explained it to me. It was like I was praying and lightning struck in my backyard. That was the moment that I knew I needed to be a pastor. And I was like, How? lightning strike. That doesn't even make sense. I heard one guy when I was young say, for some reason he was praying in his attic. I don't know about you, but I hate my attic. It's like a thousand degrees up there in the summer and it's, it's cold as ice in the winter. So maybe, I, I don't know why you would pray up there, but he was like, and I heard the voice of God go into ministry. And I would always be super discouraged when I would hear those stories because none of that ever happened to me. None of that ever happened to me. My prayer life was really boring compared to theirs. All right, I would read the Bible, pray about what I was reading in the Bible, ask God for things, and praise his name. That was my prayer life, and he never interjected. He was never like Steve. He, I never heard my name come out of his mouth. And the key is the way that I got into church ministry, it started at the point of discipleship. What do I mean by that? Well, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, make disciples in verse 19, then in 20 he says, and teach them all that I have taught you to, to observe. And what Jesus is saying is, is that if you are a disciple, the key is you go to the Word of God, you learn the design for life that you are to live, and then you follow Jesus. Well, that's the point at which pastoral training starts too. There is no such thing as a pastor who has not been discipled. It doesn't matter what supernatural experience you think that you had, what mystical thing happened in your life, what voices you thought you heard in your head. By the way, if that's happening, you might want to see a doctor. Uh, but it does, none of that matters. If you are called to ministry, you need to be equipped for ministry. And the equipping for ministry starts in the discipleship that Jesus has designed for everyone that's a follower of Jesus to go through. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that um, God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. A little bit of review, but understand, my call to pastoral ministry started right there. I was being discipled by a local church pastor. I was being trained as a disciple. And as I was trained as a disciple, I caught a vision for making other disciples. And as I was making other disciples, it was identified in me that I had a gifting not just to make disciples that make disciples, but I had a gift to where I was able to actually gather disciple makers a dozen or more at a time and cultivate environments in which 12 disciple makers could make dozens of disciples at a time. And so in that process, a pastor looked at me and said, Steve, I think you need to go into pastoral ministry. And so it was during the equipping process. Therefore, the way that I look at it, every disciple with the limitations of Scripture is a potential pastor. Because your calling, more often than not, is going to be experienced at the point of discipleship. So if you are looking for like a Gideon's fleece moment where you lay out a fleece and you're like, God, if it's wet, I'll be a pastor. Oh, I didn't hear you. If it's dry, I'll be a pastor. All right, if you're trying to do that, he's probably not going to call. All right, because he's like, you're too weird. <laughs> he wants normal people. All right. And so God leads you into ministry through the discipleship process. So how do you know who should be a pastor? Well, he gives you qualifications in the New Testament. I just want to look at one example, Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. He looks to young pastor Titus and he says, This is why I left you in Crete, 
So Paul was a pastor ordaining pastors. That's the cycle. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. There's that organization aspect. God wants his church run in an orderly way and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. If anyone is above reproach, in other words, they're living a godly life. They're above the fray, the husband of one wife and his children. Remember, I said the limitations. Here is a limitation that I want to be very clear about because it is controversial in our culture. It's even controversial in church ministry today to actually hold to the biblical um, kind of restrictions where pastoral ministry is concerned. God has restricted the office of pastor to qualified men. Now, note I use the word qualified. It's not just for men. There's a lot of knuckleheads out there that should not be pastors. All right, just being a man doesn't mean you can be a pastor. You need to be a qualified man through the lens of Scripture. And let me explain, because this is not an arbitrary point. God's not just arbitrarily a misogynist trying to hold women back from using their giftings, because that's kind of how some people will kind of put this restriction and say, oh, no, no, it's misogynistic. God's arbitrary. He's just putting restrictions on women because he doesn't like feminism or something. I mean, he doesn't, but there's a reason for it. I mean, there's a reason for it. All right, the reason is that the office of pastor serves as a reflection of the original created order in the book of Genesis. So if you go back to the book of Genesis, God creates Adam, gives him leadership over everything. Then he looks to Adam and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. He wanted Adam to reflect his full image as Trinity in relationship. And so out of Adam's rib, he creates Eve to be a helpmate for Adam, to be in submission to Adam's leadership. And it says, as soon as he made him, he sets a, a covenant for the rest of creation. And he says, the husband then, the man, shall leave his mother and father. And in a leadership language, he says, and cleave, or in the Hebrew, hold fast to his wife. In other words, he's responsible for his wife. So the leadership in the church is to be a reflection, and here's another term that is controversial now, of the patriarchal design of leadership that God set up in the book of Genesis. Now, so the church leadership is a reflection of the leadership in the home, of husbands leading their families, is a reflection of God's original created design. So... Just so that we're clear, all my cards on the table, I'm being very honest with you. As long as the current pastoral team is here, we will never ordain a female to the office of pastor at Village Church. And it's not because I think it's just, just it's my idea because I came up with it. No, it's because, like I said, we have restrictions. We have limitations. We're not free to do whatever we want. I submit to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, as he has lovingly revealed in his word, his design, the specific function in the church, how he wants it to work out. And because God has limited that role for good reason, not arbitrarily, but because of his created order, we will only ordain qualified men to the office of pastor at Village Church. Rabbit trail over. The husband of one wife, and again, the Bible's clear, all right? It doesn't say the wife of one husband. It doesn't say the spouse of a spouse. He does not use gender-inclusive language. He uses language that's specific. 
I am a husband, my wife is a wife, my wife can't be a husband, and I can't be a wife. Controversial, but true. All right? And his, again, look at that, that's masculine, his children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, there's that term again, notice he's used elder and overseer in the same passage. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be, again, above reproach, not arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Doesn't that just look like an actual Christian? Just because you're not a pastor, when you go through this list, it doesn't give you the freedom to say, oh, cool, I can be arrogant? Sweet. All right, I'm going to be a drunkard because I'm not a pastor. I'm just going to be violent. And that one's not going to work out for you, all right, ultimately. But no, so what the Apostle Paul is telling Titus is he's saying, look for men who have been discipled, look for men who are mature in the faith, look for men who are actually following Jesus in their lives and can be trusted with leading and making decisions that are going to lead to the glory of God for the church of Jesus Christ. There's one more qualification, but we'll get to that one in a little while. But then look at Acts chapter 6 to see how pastors appoint elders, excuse me, deacons and all the other leadership because they have a specific role in which they are to live. Look at Acts chapter 6 verse 2. It'll be up on the screen. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. There was a problem in the church. Not everybody's needs were being met. At that point only the apostles were pastors because the church had just started and they summoned the twelve and the number of disciples and says it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Verse 3. Therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so there you're beginning to see a little more of the function of pastors. Pastors in the body of Christ raise up servant leaders to meet the needs of the people in the church so that they can fulfill the role of the one who proclaims the Word of God, spends time devoting himself to the study of the Word of God, spending time in prayer, maintaining a very tight relationship with the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, for the good of the church. And so, the equipping then for pastors is centered on identifying abilities through Scripture. One commonality that you will see where pastoral ministry is concerned is it's very word-centered. It's very Bible-centric in the way that it plays out. So much so that the chief tool by which you equip pastors with is the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, after instructing Timothy as to how to find pastors, he talks to him as to how to equip every leader especially pastors. He said, All Scripture then is breathed out by God, theonoustos, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For what reason? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so he said, Pastoral ministry falls so much under the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God that this is the chief textbook as to how you learn what being a pastor is all about. Uh, number two this morning, or number three this morning, I don't know what number I'm on. Pastors then 
do function by leading, equipping, and guarding the mission of the church. Pastors lead, equip, and guard the mission of the church. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5 goes so far as to say that Timothy needs to guard himself from being um, too hasty. It says on a laying on of hands. That means don't raise leaders up too quickly. Don't appoint someone to the office of pastor just because they said, I was called into ministry. There's a difference between being called and equipped. Being equipped is a process. Being called is where it started. It doesn't matter what vocation you're in in life, whether you're in church ministry, whether you're in the marketplace through some job, uh, whether or not you're in the military. I've heard stories about leadership from all sectors of life, and every one of them will say, you should not appoint someone to a leadership position too fast. When you do that, that person could make a lot of damage happen in their lives. That person will be arrogant about their leadership. That person might have great ideas, but they have no idea from experience what ideas work and what ideas don't. When you raise somebody up to leadership really, really quickly, they might have a lot of theoretical knowledge, but a lot of their theoretical knowledge could end up with people getting hurt and the entire building getting burned down. All right, Because people, when they're immature, they have all sorts of bad ideas. When I was in uh, Bible college, I actually was in my very first ministry class in undergraduate education. And uh, we were introducing ourselves to each other. And I always hated that because I don't care who these other people are. I just want to know how I'm going to get an A. That's the kind of student I am. If I want to be friends with any of them, I'll talk to you after class. But while I'm in here, I don't want to care about any of you. All right, and so everybody's getting up, everybody's saying who they are. And a couple of the guys were 18 years old, and they're like, I'm pastor so-and-so. I was ordained to Christian ministry when I was 14. And I'm just sitting there like, what idiot ordained a bunch of teenagers into pastoral ministry? And I'll tell you, I spent eight years in youth ministry. There is not a 14-year-old on this planet that can be trusted with any leadership position even in like the bathroom, they can't lead in the bathroom. The toilet will break. The, everything's going to get flooded. All right. I went into youth ministry not thinking teenagers were very smart. Then after eight years, I walked away and I knew they are not very smart. All right. I mean, I watched some kids do some really dumb stuff. A couple of them ended up in jail because they were that dumb. Are there decisions you can make as a teenager that will ruin the rest of your life? Yep. I watched a few people make them. All right. So when you think about a leader, you need to think about somebody that has actually been seasoned in the faith, someone who has experienced making disciples, someone who's been risen up through the process and is humble, not in the sense that they're self-deprecating, not in the sense that they're, oh, I'm not as good as everybody else, but in the sense that they know exactly what it is that they are giving their lives into, and they know the severity of it. They know the responsibility of it. They know what they are stewarding as a leader, that these are real lives around me. And so every decision that I make must be made through the lens of all of the people that it affects. That's the point of good leadership. That's when you know that you've reached a point of maturity, when you realize leadership's not about having a title. Leadership is about actually leading and caring for other people. But when you understand what it means to lead, you then have the tools to equip, and then you know what it is to guard, because the key is pastoral ministry is hard work. It's hard work. Now, understand, anything worth doing is difficult. 
Anything that you commit yourself to in your life, you need to measure. Does what I'm going to expend all of my life's energy on, does it ultimately matter? Because if it matters, you need to sober up to the reality that it is going to be difficult work. And where pastoral ministry is concerned, that is why it requires someone to be trained and it requires someone to be vetted for the work overseeing the life of God's church through the lives of literally hundreds, sometimes thousands of people is not going to be easy work. It requires stamina. It requires endurance. It requires love. It requires compassion. It requires sympathy. It requires thick skin. Because guess what? Leadership means you're going to get criticized. And I'll tell you in pastoral ministry, I've led for a long time in pastoral ministry, lots of criticism. But beyond even thick skin, it requires a very healthy self-esteem. Because one of the greatest tools of the enemy is discouragement. One of the greatest tools of the enemy for pastors, and I've talked to so many pastors, I know that they all endure this, that they walk away from Sunday morning and even during the week when they're uh, trying to lead the church and they'll just feel worthless. They'll feel like their best days are behind them. And I will tell you, I have a pretty healthy self-esteem. I think I'm pretty great. So that's why I'm able to endure a lot of the criticism around here because it's like, I don't know if it's what my parents did to me, but maybe it's just a gift of God. Nobody has been able to convince me I'm not cool. All right. And my kids are getting to the age where they're even trying now. And I'm like, I am so much cooler than you. I tell you what, it doesn't matter what you think about me at all. I've just, my whole life, I've been like that. It's not that people don't mock me. Trust me, they do. It's not that people don't criticize me. Trust me. I got the email receipts to show it. It's just that I'm pretty convinced that I'm okay. All right. And so you do need a healthy self-esteem as a pastor because people and not just humans, it's the spiritual elements. The enemy is going to try to convince you you're worthless. But if you notice that list that I gave from stamina to love, from endurance uh, to compassion, a lot of those requirements for pastoral ministry are a combination of things that to be true of a man is not always the easiest of combinations to pull off. And from an imperfect person, which I am one and every pastor is one, you're always feeling like you're failing from one degree or another at one of those tools that is required for you to do your job well. But the Holy Spirit makes it work. I mean, think about all the things that pastors are responsible for. I don't know if you know this or not, but I work more than one hour a week. I mean, some of you think I just come up here and shoot from the hip. If I shot from the hip, we'd be here for about eight hours because I got a lot I want to talk about. So I write so that I won't. All right. But the key is a pastor is responsible for being a public theologian and an entrepreneur where business is concerned. A pastor is responsible for being a biblical scholar and an accountant that is keeping the organization in the black. A pastor is a heresy hunter and a trusted counselor at the same time. A pastor is responsible for in one conversation warning someone about the terrible ideas that they're embracing that are opposed to the gospel and trying to help them understand that God loves them enough to where they shouldn't quit faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but that requires two totally different tools. And a lot of times, we have to use multiple tools in one conversation because everybody has a different need at a different level with a different issue, with a different aspect of the gospel that needs to be applied in their lives. 
And so being a pastor is a very difficult job. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, we ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, you might think that last thing, be at peace among yourselves, is about you. But no, that's for the pastor because our jobs are so much easier when you guys are just chill, when you guys are just cool it. You guys will stop fighting each other when you guys will stop having conflict. So be at peace. All right. But then in first Timothy, he tells young pastor Timothy in uh, chapter five, verse 17 through 18, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And I love this part, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. <laughs> Underline that star. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Two principles there. Now, a lot of people get tripped up on the ox thing because you're not a farmer and you've never even seen an ox. All right, so let me explain that one to you. This is what's called in theology as the general equity of the law of God. In other words, this is from the Old Testament law, and Paul is saying, here's how you apply this law in a more modern era in which you don't own an ox. If you muzzle an ox, and I've never had an ox, I'm not a farmer, I had to look this up. If you muzzle an ox that ox is going to have a much more difficult time treading out the grain. And so he says, do not live your life trying to make the job of a pastor more difficult than it needs to be. He doesn't need more on his shoulders because you think that you are the center of everyone's universe. But then secondly, he also says something that is very controversial. The laborer deserves his wages. You know what that means? That one's easy. Pay him. Pastors need to be paid a livable wage. And I know for some of you, you're like, well, I think that they have plenty of time. They need to go get an outside job. Well, I just like you, I got direct deposit and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? <laughs> but the key is what he's saying here is, is that this is a job. This is real work. I'll tell you, I used to work uh, for the state convention for the SBC. And one of my tasks was I would train bivocational pastors. And I trained a lot of bivocational pastors. That means that they worked inside of the church and they worked outside of the church. And I will tell you, almost every single time it ended poorly for that guy. He either shipwrecked his family, shipwrecked his own faith, or shipwrecked the church. Because here's what you're asking someone to do when you say, we want you to pastor in the church, but we need you to earn money outside of the church. Is basically you're saying, we want you to have a full-time job that can supply everything for your family's need, and we then want you to come here and work more than a full-time job for free. No one can do that. You know, that person might succeed great for the first month or two, but it's going to be like a firework. Have you ever watched fireworks where it's super impressive for like five seconds and then it's over? Well, that's what typically happens with bivocational guys is they, they kind of blaze up quickly. They're excited, and then just everything beats them down. And the Apostle Paul saw this. He said, you need to understand this is hard work. There needs to be a reward for it in real life. And that is that they shouldn't be concerned about where their next meal is coming from. That a pastor shouldn't have to wonder, am I going to be able to pay my mortgage next month? Am I going to be able to provide my family with a car to get them from point A to point B? And you might say, you don't know anybody like that. I know a few pastors like that right now. Now, I will thank you because as a pastor, you are so generous and our staff does receive a livable wage. And I know my kids are thankful that, that you supply them with a bedroom and with Cheez-Its. 
All right. So they're super. So if my kids were up here, they would say, thank you for the Xbox because, because you have been so generous to where the pastors at village church don't have to worry about finding outside employment right now. We are very well taken care of and we are very thankful for that. But pastoral ministry is hard work, but here's the deal. Why do I keep doing it? Because it's good work. Like I said, anything worth doing is hard. But it's good work. A pastor is a joyful laborer. Friends, I want you to understand, I wake up every single day excited about the future of what I get to see God do through this church. I cannot imagine doing anything else with my life. I've heard so many pastors say, oh, I'm burned out. Oh, I'm walking away. I have never considered doing that. I have never thought about packing it in. I have never thought about leaving pastoral ministry. I have my dream job, and I wake up every single day excited about the work that's in front of me. Some of you, maybe you have a job that you hate, and you wake up every single day, and you're like, i got to do it again. I've never woken up like that in my life because I wake up excited about what I get to see God doing. How is God going to grow his church today? When I said yes to God, and I got trained, I got educated, I got equipped, and I got sent out by pastors. It was one of the greatest decisions of my life that I have treasured and thanked God for over and over. It is good work because here's the deal. I know that every moment of my work counts for eternity. None of it's going to die with me. Everything that I'm investing in as a pastor is going into glory. Every disciple that I make is another life saved. Every disciple that I make is another disciple, another two disciples, another three disciples, another dozen disciples is going to be made. Because of the work that we've been able to do at Village Church, I can literally look at you and say we've made hundreds and thousands of followers of Jesus Christ here as a church. That is good work. And to use an old phrase, it never gets old. Because pastors get to be on the forefront of the mission of Jesus. Leading is challenging and it's fantastic at the same time. It's all about ensuring that every person that calls this church home has the opportunity to enter multiple environments to trust what Jesus has done and learn what Jesus has done for them and will do in them furthering the gospel into your personal life and the lives of other people. I'll tell you, there's a lot of equipping that Christians need. And because of sin, many of you, even in this room, you are and you're going to be hesitant. You're going to be resistant to the discipleship process. But the good news is I love my job so much that I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing you to enter those environments of discipleship, even if you don't want to. I promise you that I'm going to be here for a long, long time. And so if you are going to be at Village Church, one of two things is going to happen. You are either going to get discipled or you're going to get frustrated that we won't leave you alone about discipleship and you'll probably leave. All right? But we're going to keep pushing. It's a promise that we make to you. Pastors, though, also have to be on the guard tower on the boundaries of church membership and church discipline. Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he says, The pastor, giving another qualification, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There's the one qualification that sets the pastor apart from the pack. We've got to be able to teach the word of God, and we've got to be able to defend the word of God. Pastors guard the purity and clarity of the gospel. And that takes more than thick skin. 
That requires a resolute disposition that loves God's word enough to take hits for it. Enough to keep standing under the pressure of a culture built on lies and sometimes wolves. In Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 29, the apostle Paul says, I'm leaving the elders that I've trained up. Understand fierce wolves are going to come against the church. Some of them are already there and they're going to seek to devour the flock of God. And the pastor must be on the guard tower to rid the chicken coop of those wolves. We must run them out. One of the hardest parts of being a pastor is knowing who is just an immature Christian who needs to be taught a better way and who's a wolf that needs to be kicked out. For me personally, that's been a difficult part of pastoral ministry. But God is faithful, and thus far, He's revealed us how to deal with each and every one of those types of situations. And the only way to accomplish that is to be sure of the truth of the gospel and determined to obey all of its implications. Now to finish, I'm going to give you a fourth point. That's irregular. Many of you know that. But it's a bonus point. Just bear with me for a moment. Friends, pastoral ministry must be multiplied to the next generation. What do I mean by that? I mean we need more pastors. Every year, I'm informed of the studies that are done nationwide and worldwide in the churches, we have fewer men being trained for pastoral ministry than we ever have been in the history of keeping those records. We have fewer churches being planted. We have more and more established churches closing their door and more men leaving ministry than we have men coming in equipped to lead the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that there will always be someone to fill the void of pastoral ministry. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, I take Jesus to be making a promise right there, and he will always raise up people to lead the church. But that does not take away the responsibility of us to obey the call of God to lead the church of Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter excuse me, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10, he looks to a young Timothy as a pastor. And he says, Timothy, you were trained as a child in the things of Scripture. You were raised up and discipled towards the purpose of leading the church of Jesus Christ. Timothy had been discipled towards appointing elders and leading the church. And we must recapture a Christian vision for pastoral ministry. I know that in all the people that are gathered today, God has called some of the men into being trained and being equipped for pastoral ministry. And my question is, when are you going to put your yes on the table for Jesus? When are you going to obey the call? When are you going to stop using the excuses that you've been using that are holding you back? from leading the church of Jesus Christ? When are you going to rid yourself of the pointless distractions that you have? When are you going to rid yourself of only gathering the transient treasures of this world and invest eternally into the church of Jesus Christ? Some of you might say, oh, but I've already got a career. Some of the best pastors I know enter, excuse me, exited one successful career into a second successful career of pastoral ministry. Some of the best men I know have done that. But I actually want to speak further into your children's lives. I was not raised in a very large church. It was a humble church. But me and my two best friends in the church, we were discipled together. We were raised up in that church together. 
We were always told that in our church, some of the young men would be the pastors leading the church of tomorrow. What if I told you all three of us have been pastors for two decades? Because we were discipled towards leading the church of Jesus Christ. We were told that was a great calling from God by our parents, and we were led that direction by our pastors. I'm in my 40s. I'm not old, but I will tell you, I've transitioned from a place where it's about building my career to where my focus for the rest of my life must be on raising up other pastors, leaving a legacy of men that I have ordained to lead after I'm dead and gone. And parents of young men, if you have sons, is it your prayer that God would raise them up to lead thousands to faith in Jesus Christ? Is your prayer for your sons that they would be the ones to take up the mantle of leadership in the local church. When one of my greatest mentors died, I was sitting at his funeral, and the man speaking at his funeral said that he had dropped the baton through his death, and who would be the ones who would pick it up and run the race of pastoral ministry? Parents, I have but one request of you. Do not be so faithless in the gospel that you would dissuade your children from answering God's call because you are afraid that they won't be successful and you are afraid that they won't be able to pay their bills. I have obviously never gone hungry. God has supplied more than every meal, as you can see. But I will tell you, I wouldn't give it up for the world. It's something to wake up every day excited about your life. Friends, there are so many that need to be discipled. There are so many that can lead if they will just submit to being equipped for God's purpose of pastoral ministry. Jesus gave everything because the future of God's kingdom is so sure and so glorious. Let's build God's church. A few application points quickly. I know our time is gone. God will raise up leaders for his church. I trust him for that. But here's the good news. I also get to be a part of that. And so do you. So do you. Secondly, pastors emerge from the discipleship process. And I know some of you are being discipled. I just want to say, what if? What if? Men, what if God's calling you? Wives, what if God's calling your husband? Don't discourage him. Thirdly, pray for pastors. That is a bit selfish, I know, but I'm not just talking about myself. We have a team of pastors here. That's the biblical way. Pray for all of us and pray for every pastor you know. Fourthly, pray for and support the training of new pastors. Pray for and support the training of new pastors. It's a good calling. We must answer it.